This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Thank you, Brother C.S. How's everyone doing? Obviously not excited to see me or hear from me. (laughs) There we go. So here's the, here's the interesting thing. The next question I'm going to ask, I'm not sure whether you're going to be applauding me or hating me. So I saw that there was quite a few firsters, first years here. Is that correct? Hands up. Can I ask you guys to stand, if you, if you don't mind? First years. Let's give them a round of applause, man. But now I'm going to ask, of the first years, who are here for the first time? Can the rest of you sit, if you don't mind? First years for the first time, keep standing. Right, so I don't know if you guys follow cricket. Do you guys follow cricket, the guys that are standing? So I'm recently retired, right? Recently retired, meaning I'm unemployed. I don't know if Brother C has spoke to you guys, but there's a thousand rand entrance fee, and that's going to be my payment for this month. Did he speak to you guys? Okay, you guys can sit. <laughs> well, man, I'm, I'm excited to be here and excited to share again. And, and, and as Brother C has mentioned, I've... I've been here once before. I think it was a different auditorium, if I remember. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just an amazing privilege to, to get to share one's story. And when you get that privilege to share one's story, it doesn't mean that your story is more relevant than anyone else's. Each one of us has a story. And the most amazing thing I've learned about what, sharing one's story It doesn't matter if you are preaching or speaking to thousands or one. It only needs to touch one life to make a difference. So if you believe that you don't have a worthwhile story, I'm here to tell you that it is worthwhile. And don't be afraid to share your story and be vulnerable in that story. I'm hopefully going to be quite vulnerable here tonight and, and share a little bit about my story. But as I was standing there, I was observing a few people kind of dancing and enjoying the worship on this side. And I just want to acknowledge that. Thank you for just being free and just being you. That's amazing. And we were standing in front here, and I was seeing my daughter dancing and and just having this freedom like nobody's watching. And don't we all wish sometimes that we could just be that? Don't we just wish that we can have that freedom in our hearts to know that it actually doesn't matter what anyone thinks. It's about what he thinks. And he wants to let you know here tonight that he's paid the price for that freedom for you. And it's been mentioned here a few times tonight about how glorious that freedom is. And I just want to start with that. And as I stand here tonight, 
You know, I've had a great privilege of having a 20-year career in cricket. And I stand here now, a retired cricketer. And as a, I'm sure there are many parents here tonight. And as a parent, you know, one of the great privileges that one can think about is being able to, to do something of significance and your children get to see. And, you know, I've got quite young kids. Four-year-old one is here, and there's another one at home, which is 17 months. And I always had this thought of playing a game of cricket in front of them where they were old enough to understand what was going on and seeing a great performance from me and kind of running onto the field and acknowledging me in that performance. But you know what? Here I stand tonight, and I, I was actually very purposeful in bringing my four-year-old with tonight because this is that moment. This is that, that moment where I get to stand on a platform and be proud to share that with my kids. So I just want to, if you allow me, kind of pray into that tonight because I also want to pray for the future parents that are here. We, we're speaking to young people, but also the parents and our kids, if you don't mind just bowing your heads with me. Lord, Father, we just want to thank you for the amazing privilege of parenthood. Lord, we've spoken about the freedom that kids possess, Lord, and, and you've spoken in your word about how you want us to, to experience that freedom, Lord. So tonight we bless the kids of this house. We bless the kids, the future kids of this house, Father God. We lay hands upon them right now, Father God, and we just bless them as they are our next generation. And we pray into our future of South Africa, of our nation, of our country, Father God. And we pray this in your mighty name. Amen. I want you to uh, just acknowledge the fact that I have shared quite a bit of my story, as I said, a few years ago. So I might be repeating myself to a few people, but, you know, with it being three years ago, a lot has happened in the three years. So there's a lot to add to that story. But the important thing to acknowledge that there needs to be some context to a story. So I'm going to have to start from the beginning where it all started. And I need to start from the, from, as I said, from the very beginning. And I, I grew up in a home where I went to church. I attended a Catholic church. I knew of God. I knew he was there. I kind of acknowledged him at times when, let's say, I played well or, you know, you just felt God's presence in your life. You kind of thank him for it. Never quite understood this thing about relationship. And I went through the ranks of, of junior cricket under 13, under 15, under 17, under 19. Very privileged, I might add. At age 17, I was afforded a senior contract by Western Province. So I was the in guy, I guess, at, in many ways at high school, earning a salary in high school. And I gained quite a, quite a lot of friends. Uh, but I never had a relationship with God. Made my South African debut at age 20. Man, what an experience that was. Kind of like in a bubble, I went, to, I went to Sri Lanka, played my first game for South Africa in Sri Lanka. And very soon after that, I got dropped pretty much the next series, left out. This is in 2004 now. And I remember the fact that I wanted to give up the game. 
I literally wanted to give up the game. I thought, how can I at age 20 achieve something so amazing and then all of a sudden gets taken away from me again? But then what I realized, 2005, I went to the academy and they asked me a very significant question. They asked me, what do I want to achieve out of being in the academy? We spent four months in Joburg at the academy. And I said, I want to find the love for the game again. Unfortunately enough, I, I went through this four-month period and, rightly so, found the love for the game, found that zest within myself to know, hey, this is actually still what I want to do. And then I went along, 2007, got back into the national team. From there, kind of never looked back. Been playing cricket for the South African side from 2007 up until 2019, which was obviously last year where I retired from international cricket. But just going back to 2007 again, got into the national team, 2007 to 2010, kind of found my way back in. 2008, a magical tour of Australia, which I'm sure some of you can remember. But in this time, as I mentioned, I, I never had a relationship with God. And if you can just... Somehow, some of you might be representing some professional teams, rugby, cricket, whatever it may be, high corporate job. You can imagine the pressure that one feels in those positions, the expectation, uh, the need for performance. And I, I, I didn't know how to deal with that pressure. Yes, I had some great performances, but still, I didn't know how to deal with this pressure. And what did I do? I responded to the flesh in me. I went about and started partying, external resources, started divulging in those kind of things that made me feel whole for a period of time. And it's amazing that I get this, this opportunity once again to speak to young people, majority. I see some older faces here. But I, I genuinely believe where I stand right now, this is where God is calling me to. Because I've walked this journey where there's such a high demand for performance. And don't get me wrong, we all want to do well. Whether it is in sport, whether it is in business, whether it is just being a father, being a brother, we all want to be the best that we can be. But the reality is, in the world out there, when we step out of this, let's call it our comfort right now, when we step out of those doors, the world challenges us. The world tells us that we have a certain standard or expectation that we need to adhere to. And this is where I fell short. I, I, I felt like I needed to adhere to these responses. I needed to, I need to feel like I needed to keep up with the standard that society sets for me. And every single day I came short. What did I do? External source. Drinking. Women. These are the things that I divulged in. And lo and behold, I hit, the, I, I hit rock bottom. Where I got to a point where after big nights, I used to have these panic attacks. And all I wanted to do was dig a deep hole and just jump into it. Because I didn't want anybody to see my insecurities. I didn't want anybody to see my vulnerabilities. Because, let's be real. Who can put up their hand quite comfortably 
and say that you will, will do that in any situation, no matter who you're in front of. There are going to come times where you feel insecure. There are going to be times where you feel sorry for yourself when you just want to be alone. We all have those moments. And this is where I came to know some amazing people in my life because I reached out. I reached out to some friends of mine, and I was invited to a Bible study. This was 2010. I invited to this Bible study four people. Three of them were saved and me. Can't you imagine what that was like? I felt like I was being judged, even though they weren't judging me. I sat there. I didn't say a word. We were going through some scripture, some devotional. We're sitting with a pastor, current pastor, my current pastor at the moment. We're sitting there having this Bible study. And I didn't say a word. After, after we finished, I took his number. I sent him a message later on that week. I said, listen, don't you mind that we could just meet alone? I think that's where I need to start. And for about two to three years, actually two years, we met on a one-on-one basis. Every time I was in and out of the country, obviously I was traveling quite a bit for my career. And I came back, every time I came back, I met with him. But the amazing thing about the story is, at not one point did he ever judge me. At not one point did he ever tell me what I need to do. All it was, was encouragement. He prayed with me. He prayed for me. He prayed for my family. He prayed prayed for my career. And all he was, was a support and encouragement. And then I had a horrific injury in 2012. I snapped my Achilles tendon. I was out for seven months. Thought that was the end of my career. I got injured. The very next game, Faf Duplessis comes into my place, scores 100 on debut. I'm like, jeepers, I'm going to get back into this team now. But lo and behold, this seven-month period was a defining moment in my life where I got to spend more time with my pastor and work through a few things. And the most relevant thing that I can think about that he spoke about every single time that we met was stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Because every time I got to him and I spoke to him, all I spoke about was other people coming into my position and how am I going to get around this and get around that. All he said was stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. And this was so relevant if I look back in my life now. 2013 came, got reselected for South Africa immediately, fortunately. Went to a tour of Sri Lanka. Now think back, 2004, debut. 2013, nine years later, back to the same country. And in the seven-month period, some of you would have heard his story. Faf Duplessis got saved. And he had this idea of starting a Bible study in the group, and I was his first target. That was more nerve-wracking than facing Mitchell Johnson for me at that point in time. Anyway, we went through a devotional book, and after the first session, we came to the end of the session, and he said, right, we're going to pray now. I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, no, we're going to pray together. That was probably the most nervous I've ever been in my life. And it was literally two people. Anyway, I prayed a one-line prayer, and that was the end of it. Anyway, three weeks into this this tour, our Bible study group grew. There were four people now, five people. And three weeks in, we were going through a, a chapter called Salvation. 
And at the, at the end of this, this chapter, at the end of the session, the question was asked, are we ready and willing to commit our lives, our hearts to Christ? And everyone in that room put up their hands and said, I commit my life to Christ. That was the 27th of July, 2013, where myself, David Miller, and A.B. de Villiers committed our lives to Christ. What a moment it was in our lives, such a redefining moment in our lives, and I'm so grateful for that moment because it was a start of something brand new. I remember going back to my room, phoning my wife, phoning my parents, phoning my pastor. It was 11.30 at night, so I couldn't play worship music loud. I put my earphones in, raising my hands in worship. Just really enjoyed the experience of receiving the Holy Spirit. But you know, as, as much as that was a defining moment in my life, it was a start of something new, as I said. But it wasn't something new in the sense that my life was going to be this amazing journey now. This is where the enemy comes to rob, steal, and, and defeat you in, in some way or another, or attempts to. And I've been living this journey now for, what, seven years. And I just wanted to give you a little bit of context of where it comes from. And I had this, this amazing privilege now after retiring, and I've got this opportunity to play in Canada, got this opportunity to play in the CPL, which is the Caribbean, Caribbean Premier League. Now, retiring from, from international cricket, I'm trying to rediscover right, what is my purpose now. Playing for South Africa meant there was always a higher purpose to what I was doing. There was always a, a higher calling to what I was doing because you're representing South Africa. You're representing something bigger than you. And now I had to kind of work out, right, what is next? But I had a, I had a fall. Not a literal fall. Went to Canada. Was playing the next, literally flew, played the next day. And I remember standing on the field and I was like, Lord, what, what am I doing here? I have no idea what my purpose for being here is. I couldn't wait to get off the field. Why? Because I wanted to numb the pain that I was feeling. Because I felt like I didn't have a purpose anymore. Went out for two days and just got hammered. Could, I couldn't tell you what I was doing because I couldn't remember. And I remember... Waking up the morning of the next game, still hungover. And again, I asked myself, what are you doing? Anyway, I went to go play the game. How good is our God? I got man of the match that game. I don't know why. Anyway, After that game, I couldn't wait to actually get back to the hotel to actually phone my wife and actually tell her what, told her what had happened. And the most amazing thing happened. Her response to me was, it's okay. It's okay. I'm like, What are you talking about? It's okay. I've just fallen off the wagon. It's okay. Phoned a friend of mine. Says the same thing. Phone my pastor. He starts laughing. And he says to me, I'd love to see you drunk. (laughs) 
And here's the thing that I've, I've realized out of those responses. As people, as human beings, we constantly strive for perfection. And what is perfection to us, what I've realized perfection is, is Jesus Christ. He's the only perfection in our lives. We have this constant search to strive for perfection. Our coach demands it of us. Our team demands it of us. And if there are coaches here in the room, I'm not denying what you were saying. What I'm saying is we can only strive to be the best that we can be. And I want to just define something that, I, that has really overwhelmed me. We've, we've all heard this, this term called self-belief. It's something that it, I guess all of us fight with and battle with most times because people often tell you, you need to believe in yourself. And for, for many years, I, I kind of battled with this, like what, what does self-belief actually mean? What does it mean to actually believe in yourself? Until a good friend of mine told me actually what it actually means. Self-belief is the belief in the ability that God has given you. But what we get taught in society is it's all about us. We've got to believe in us. But there's a significant difference in that. Our ability as opposed to self. Our ability is not our own. Our ability was given. It's a gift. And our responsibility with that gift is to nurture it, is to work at it, is to try and walk out every day. And whatever you do is to give your best in the ability. God's promise to his people, if you have Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 16, verse 24 to 26. I just want to read a, a passage of scripture quickly, if you wouldn't mind. It says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And this is something that we all battle with on a daily basis, I believe. And I'll be first to admit, we seek affirmation, we seek approval in everything we do. Whether it is in a, in a cricket match or any kind of sport that you play when you go to work, you seek affirmation from your boss. That's a, that's a daily experience. But I'm here to share with you, not to deny that, but to understand we have the approval from the one that means the most to us, and that is Jesus Christ. He has come to die on a cross for us to give us the freedom that I've been speaking about in the beginning. So we don't need, hear what I'm saying? We don't need the approval from anyone else because we already have it. I want to say this again. We don't need the approval from anyone else 
because we have it already. Now, in that statement, I don't mean it arrogantly. I say that with the ultimate humility one can ever say anything with. Because with that freedom comes responsibility. With that freedom comes an, comes an understanding of who we are and whose we are. And who we are, we are children of God. Whose we are, we are His children. And that is such a profound statement that I struggle with on a daily basis. Who we are and whose we are. Because we are faced with constant battles and challenges every single day of our lives. We will walk out of here and something will come our way that will challenge us. I want to share something quite vulnerable. And I'm hoping my wife will approve for me to share this. But before I came here, we were meant to meet at 4 o'clock. And somehow we had a bit of miscommunication around that because we were meeting a, a friend of mine at 4 o'clock here in Stellenbosch. A couple that has become quite good friends of us is actually part of your church. John and Wan He, they're part of your church. I had a, we had a, a meeting with them. And I phoned Sue and I was constantly phoning Sue. And I can feel the rage and frustration building up because we had this plan. Anyway, I eventually get hold of her. Is, where are you? I'm at Valdevi. Where are you? Miscommunication. She had an event. And I thought that she, we were going to meet at four, but she thought she was meeting me here at six. And I got off the phone. It's okay. Just leave it. But the honest truth is, I got frustrated. I got upset. And the first thing I realized, this is the enemy at work. Why? Because I'm coming here to do something significant tonight. And eventually I, I, I left it, and eventually I got a message from Sue saying that she's busy discipling where she is. And I felt so guilty. Because here was a moment where God was actually working in her life in other people, and I got frustrated. But that's the human element that we deal with every single day. So what am I trying to say is that we're all going to have challenges. But it comes back to knowing whose we are and who we are. We live in a world where there is something we all seek, whether we admit it to ourselves or not. And again, the question is, Whose approval are we seeking? And the question is, as I've mentioned, do we have it already? This thing about worth, knowing your worth. Luke chapter 12, 6 and 7 says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. And if you are like me, which I'm assuming that you are, you question your worth at times. You question what are you doing in whatever you're doing at times. But I'm here to confirm for you, confirm to you, 
that you are worthy in his eyes. You are enough in his eyes. Because he has said it. I think about Jesus dying on the cross, nailed to the cross, and the last words that are uttered out of his mouth are, it is finished. The question to me is, what is finished? And I, and I did a little bit of research into this. What is he actually talking about? And what I, what, what I concluded out of that phrase, out of that scripture, was it's not about his ability. You know, we constantly question our worthiness, our ability. Are we good enough to do something? But what the significance of that scripture says to us, it is finished. His purpose was finished. He came to this earth for a specific purpose. He came to die on the cross for our sins. And if you think about wherever you find yourself in your life right now, you're kind of wrestling with, what am I actually supposed to do? I can be honest in saying, I've retired from cricket. I'm struggling with it myself. Battling with the thought of, right, how am I going to earn an income that allows me to sustain the same lifestyle that I've had while playing? Or am I going to pursue something that fulfills a purpose that God has placed in my heart? And I think that's a wrestle that we all have at any given time in our lives, whether you are 10 years old, whether you are 50 years old, are you fulfilling your purpose? Are you fulfilling something that God has laid on your heart? And that's a question that we all need to answer at some point. And the point of answering that question and the reason why you know that you have this question inside of you is there's this burning desire inside of you that you holding out on that if you stretch out your hand and try and grab it, you just can't get there. And because you can't get there, you think, no, this is not for me. Well, let me tell you this. That's an indication that you need to pursue it. That's an indication that you can't do it without him. For me, that is purpose. And again, I stand here feeling like I am preaching to you and sounding quite confident. But believe me, man, it scares the living daylights out of me. It scares the living daylights out of me that I'm not sure where I'm going, but I'm trying to pursue something and I can't reach it. But something inside of me keeps telling me I need to continue. And you, some of you might find yourselves in your lives at that point in time because you're trying to discover your purpose and your worth. But I want to describe it in the best way I know possible. I'm going to describe it by an indication. Does anybody have any notes on them? 10 rand, 100 rand, whatever it may be. Anyone in the front row? I can't promise you're going to get it back, but it's fine. Wow, no, 100 rand or so. You heard I'm unemployed, eh? In closing, I want to share an analogy with you that really struck me so profoundly. And I'm going to ask somebody if they'd be willing to come and help me. Who would be willing? A young person, 
of some sort, a first year even. <laughs> a first year they'd be willing to come and help me. I come up on stage. Come, come forward. Give him a round of applause. What's your name? Alfonso. Alfonso. What a name. Alfonso, can you grab that for me? So, Alfonso, I want to ask you something to do, uh, do something for me. I want you to crumble that hundred rand up, if you wouldn't mind. So, if we look at this hundred rand note, if I had to ask you who would want this hundred rand, I'm guessing that everybody would put up their hand, right? Take it again. Stomp it on the floor. Tamp on it. Alfonso, can you open it up for me? It's still a hundred rand note. So I've asked Alfonso to crumble it up. I've asked Alfonso to throw it on the ground. I've asked Alfonso to tramp on it. Has it lost its worth? It's still worth the same value that it had before we did anything to it. Thank you, Alfonso. You can give it back. Thank you very much. The moral of the story, at some point, at any given point in your life, that could be you. Stumpled on, spoken badly to, spoken badly towards, that does not diminish your worth. You are a child of God, and that's all the worth that you need. Amen. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.